anger, domestic violence, sexuality, mental illness, racism, addiction, and today, politics. We're going to embark on probably one of the, actually the scariest sermon series I think I've ever been a part of. We entitled it Taboo, and where we're going to be talking about topics that are hard to talk about, that uh, make us uncomfortable, they challenge our beliefs, they trigger arguments, they seem too complex, too intimidating, and even too painful sometimes to discuss. As a church, our desire is to be at peace with others, and these are topics that can lead us away from that peace. These are topics that can actually trap us into silence. And sadly enough, that silence or fear of talking about these issues can isolate people. They can divide people, driving them away from the church, driving them away from Christ. Jesus knew that we would face these troublesome things in the world. And he addressed the sensitive subjects with courage, truth, and grace. And I think ultimately we can do the same. My hope is that through this series, it's going to be an equipping series, that we'll be equipped with the right way to begin to talk, to begin to relate, to begin to love, and develop skills that will guide us in these areas in our lives. And for today, right out of the gates, we're going to talk about everybody's small talk discussion of politics. Oftentimes you probably heard, oh yeah, I'd love to talk to you, but no politics, no religion. We're going to do both today. We often do religion, most of the time. But today we're going to throw politics in there. So here's the dilemma for me, okay? I, to a fault, am incredibly politically just not. Just not. You've never, I don't think anybody in this room is engaged in a political conversation with me. I've never shared with people who I voted for. But I would love to say that I did that with great purpose. There was reasoning behind the way that I am. But it wasn't. And that's the fault. I really couldn't care, honestly. Which there's oftentimes two uh, spectrums of that. People who really care and people who don't care. But that's a fault of mine to the point where I felt like I needed to understand. And I tell you what, what I've studied uh, over these last couple weeks preparing for this has really changed my view on politics and, 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 and what we're called to do as Christians. So as the political landscape ultimately is gaining huge momentum, uh, more and more people seem to voice what they believe is right. Now I want to shed a little interesting, fun take on it. Some would say Jesus is a Republican. Jesus converted a publican tax collector, thus making him a Republican. Jesus was always right, so we should always be to the right. Right? 
Jesus was all about free health care. Offers it to anybody and everybody who needs it and doesn't charge a penny. <laughs> Thus making him a Democrat. Jesus was also anti-establishment. There was no person ever in the history that was more about freedom and truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Thus making him a libertarian. In Genesis, we, God's people, are charged with the duty of taking care of the land in Genesis, right? That God's dominion, mankind, over the earth was given to us so we should steward it the right way. That's also making God and the Lord being present part of the Green Party. But what if I was to tell you that there was people who hold all of those beliefs that are going to heaven, that even people who hold vastly different beliefs than what you hold still go into heaven. And I would go on to say that there might even be people sitting in this room who believe differently than you. Don't look. It's embarrassing to stare at people. Also going to heaven. So as things continue to get heated around the political landscape and the debates that are going on, I want to challenge you with one thing. One thing today that we'll talk about that you can carry with you from now until election day, which I think is November 8th. I want to challenge you with this. Put your faith before your politics. Put your faith before your politics. Put what Jesus, what you know about Jesus, the way he lived and the life he lived and also the life that he calls us to live, put that into practice before you put into practice a party line agenda or a platform or whatever your political belief would be. Jesus in the Bible oftentimes was challenged politically. And most of those times were by the religious leaders who were trying to trick him into saying something wrong that negated his beliefs, thus proving him wrong, and they were trying to get him into a trick all too often. And Matthew 22 are a couple of those stories that we'll look at today. Matthew 22 is uh, one of those stories, the first one we're going to look at, that you might have heard of before. You might have even thought it had something to do with the taxes of the day. But I don't want you to miss what I believe it's really actually about. Matthew 22:15 reads this. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing they were evil and intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin you use to pay for paying the taxes. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image, is on, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then they said to him, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, 
and give to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left and went away. The image on that coin was Caesar. That's the image of that time, the the strongest political grouping of people called Caesar. The image that we bear, bear is Christ, our creator, what he's created us for. It's not what party you fall under. It's that we fall on our knees under God. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Faith before politics. So you're not part of a, you are part of a kingdom, not part of a party. Part of being Republican, Libertarian, Democrat. You are part of a kingdom first. Caesar and Rome had their agenda, had their platform that they ran on. And it was incredibly self-serving to them. Very single-minded in what they wanted to accomplish. It wasn't for all the people. It was just for their people. God's for all the people. His kingdom is for everyone. He didn't care about the political view that they held. And Jesus, when he gathered people, he intentionally chose, because he was for all people, a potentially explosive mix of disciples from very different walks of life and very different political viewpoints. Chose a Galilean fisherman, blue-collar, working-class participant. They were participants in the Roman economy and at least portions of their income went to the exports to Rome, outside of Galilee. Their hands would have been rough and scarred. Tax collector, a publican tax collector and a Jewish collaborator with the Roman power structure. Tax collectors were seen as traitors by their own people, to their own people. Think of Levi or Matthew. Directly taxed, Uh, the other disciples, or at least the people who they were in direct relationship with. Tax collectors were known, uh, known to be brutal, greedy extortionists, not above using imprisonment and violent, uh, in, in violence to get the job done and to line their own pockets with money. The first disciples were fishermen, so when Levi was added to that, there must have been a massive cause of tension when Levi was thrown into this group, maybe even hatred, because Levi would have been the one that was stealing from the fishermen. Simon the Zealot. Zealots were radical revolutionaries, not above using violent revolt and, uh, to achieve their ends of casting out this Roman oppression that was going on. These were the uh, Occupy Wall Street uh, protesters of the day. Simon would have naturally hated both the fishermen for being uh, part of that economic system in Rome and the tax collector for being the man. And this was a very potentially volatile addition Jesus made to his disciples. See, if Jesus was to assemble 
a similar group of disciples. Today it would look like a union steel worker, maybe a bank CEO, a Black Lives Matters activist, Occupy Wall Street protester, a farmer, an IRS bureaucrat, a logger, and a Greenpeace activist. That's what it could have looked like today. And it was to this group of people with vastly different political views, agendas, platforms, that Jesus gave a new commandment. The new commandment is John 13, 34. A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. To love one another as Christ had loved them. The new commandment was given to this small group of 12. Small group of 12 women that have natural inclinations of hatred because of their differing political and world views that they held. He didn't give them a new commandment in the, in the temple or in a huge crowd or in a public space or through a, a crafty written sermon. But the new commandment was given in a private room over dinner with his closest friends. Love transcending politics. Not erasing it, transcending it. That they were being called to this greater kingdom and asked to follow a, a higher law, a higher love, God's love, God's love for all people. Faith in that higher kingdom was a command to love one another as he was loved, as, they, as he loved them. And following that, in Matthew 22 was another time Jesus was tested in another situation, just following that interaction of silencing the Sadducees with the coin. The Pharisees say this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The first commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's, that's on you. I can't, and we can't measure each other's ability to love God with our heart's soul and our mind. That's something that you work out with God, that you measure yourself, that you just aspire to in your life. But the second part of that, without even taking a breath, I picture Jesus saying, and the second is to love your neighbor. To love your neighbor. That's measurable. That's apparent. We can see that. So I would ask, how does that play out in your life? 
How does that play out in your political view? How does that play out on you, how you view others who believe differently than you do? That aren't on the same platform and the same party line that you associate with. How does that look when you criticize other people for what they believe? Whether you know them or not. Not only that, but he says at the end of that verse, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor. Everything, everything, cover to cover in the Bible, everything in the Old Testament, everything hangs on those two things. We better get those right. First one's between you and God. Second one is something we display, but we better get it right. Doesn't take a breath, shares the second part, love, the neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself, as I have loved you, he says in John. We better get that right because everything hangs on our ability to do that. And around this time of year when politics divide way more than they bring people together, we better get that right. See, we can't sacrifice influence for the sake of being right. We can't sacrifice influence for the sake of being right. Right. And I tell you what, this is absolutely horrible when we get this wrong. Politics have divided families, they've crushed friendships, they've brought hatred to people. We can't choose to die on a political opinion hill and sacrifice and lose the influence that we would have for others to come to Christ. All of us probably either are part of or know of a story where a good friendship or a family has been divided on their beliefs politically. Friendships been severed because we've sacrificed our influence based on a belief. A good rule of thumb when, when, when it comes to this idea of influence is this. Be a student, not a critic. Be a student, not a critic. A critic is allowed no room in somebody's life. Criticizing people is not the way to go. A student learns. Because here's the deal. If somebody doesn't believe the way that you believe, if somebody doesn't have the same belief or the same party line that, you know, and platform or whatever it may be, that if somebody doesn't associate to the same thing that you associate with, the reason is, is because they know something that you don't know. They know something that you don't know. Now, I say that because not everything we learn. I've been to school. I've, I've been, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of lifelong learning. And I've learned stuff along the way that I don't believe in. But I've learned it. And when it comes to being a student and not a crit critic, we take the opportunity to learn whatever it is that they believe or that they know that we don't know that causes them to, make, to have that belief. 
We don't have to agree with it. But we're better off for our influence and knowing it. Being a student to it and not a critic of it. Learning is gaining influence and a better understanding of why they believe what they believe. A better understanding gains more influence. An opportunity for us to then continue to have that relationship. Not to mention that it actually even displays that we care about the people. Which, I mean, that's what God was all about. God's care is for the people. We care about the people when we take the opportunity to learn why they believe what they believe. And we gain the opportunity to then share why we believe what we believe. Keeping the relationship together. We've been through this Proverbs series, uh, and hopefully we've all had a chance to read it, but uh, around this time, political talk stirs up a lot of anger and a lot of division uh, between people. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. God, his command, our faith that we put in him, we need to put it before our politics so that we can share in understanding and in influencing others. So what role does God play then? What role does he play in this election season? What role does he play in politics in general? And probably one of the most widely defined political texts in the Bible Uh, It brings argument both for and against politics, I think, against government and for government, religion and opinion and how us believers should act in accordance to him is Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities are rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. See, maybe we would respond to that. It's, Paul write, it's Paul's writing in Romans that, well, it's obvious that Paul's government wasn't as big of a mess as ours is. And isn't it as big as despair as ours is, especially what we're facing this political season? But I would say that, and it's a very safe argument to say that the Roman government under Nero's leadership was way worse than what we have. Was way worse than what we have. And I also know that all throughout Scripture are written the stories of God using broken systems and broken people to gain his influence in this world. Cover to cover. Stories of God using broken systems, broken people, broken ideas to have influence. See, there's a lot of different feelings about politics right now about politically what's happening in our country. I think a lot of you probably already are at the boat of, I'm just going to turn it off. Avoidance is an easy one. I'm just going to avoid it. And that's what I've done my whole life. Avoided politics and just stayed out of it. 
And I think now even more than ever, ever that, I, that I know of or that I can think of, there's fear. There's real fear about what's going to happen in the political landscape. Fear around what could come if so-and-so or so-and-so makes it to the White House. But from what I know, we, where we live today, it's said that we have the best, worst system. That we have the best, worst government. And so, um, even with our broken system, despite being the best of the worst, despite uh, whoever makes it to office, God's commands don't change. God's commands that he writ, wrote in this Bible, writ, wrote in this, Heather's not up here to correct me. God's commands that he wrote in this Bible do not change. That even though our system is broken and even though we might be fearful, our commands, what we're called to do and how we're called to live does not change. They're written in here. It's, he promises provision. He promises that he's going to take care of us. He promises these things for us. Those do not change, despite whoever makes it in the White House. And God calls us, God calls his people to a level of peace and assurance in those promises. In the promises that he has written in his word for his people. None of this falls out of his care. None of us fall out of his care. As much of each of us, with our political views, hope for change to come, maybe even see hope for change to come through whoever gets elected, ultimately, our overall ultimate hope has to be in what God has promised us has to be in our relationship and faith and trust in what Christ has done for us and continues to do with us. And even if we disagree, in this room even, even if we disagree, we have to agree on one thing. That even if God's people disagree, we can't disagree that God cares about the people the most. God cares about people the most. Far more than any political view, far more than any agenda or platform that people believe or run on. Whatever they may be, God cares for the people the most. We can't disagree on that. And so as we navigate this political season, that's where we put our faith before our politics. That's where we put God first before our politics. 
I want us to do something a little different. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. Uh, I'm going to invite the ushers to take their positions in the back. And as they do that, we're going to collect the offering during the first song of, of worship following this message. If you're visiting with us, thank you for visiting with us. Uh, this is an opportunity where we give back to God through our worship, through our tithes and our offerings. But as we worship, when they do that, I want us, I want us to worship in unity. I want us to worship knowing that we all stand where we stand today with the same commands, with the same God who cover to cover in the Bible tells us how we live, what's most important, what we choose and how we choose to worship. I want us to stand and, and do that together. I want us to close with a unity that drives our worship. We all worship that same God. The God, the only one and true God. God being the one that brought us from our mother's womb. God being the one that brought us together today. That same God that sends us out to ultimately all do the same work that he's called us all to do. After worship, I have a cha- I'm going to read something to you. And I have a challenge for all of us. And it's actually going to be easier now. There's less people in the room. But I want for us to worship now in that same unity under that same common command that God has for us.